Good evening, saints. Great to be with you again. Let's turn to Revelation, uh, please. Uh, chapter 6, first of all, before I uh, do what I'm told and preach 15 and 16. Uh, chapter 6, I just, just try and connect this, of course, with the seals. Uh, the seals of the scroll which are unfolded in chapter 6. At the end of chapter 6, just notice uh, when the sixth seal in verse 12 is opened. Ultimately in verse 15, the kings of the earth and the great men and the rich men and the chief captains and the mighty men and every bondman and every freeman hid themselves in the dens and in the rocks of the mountains and said to the mountains and rocks, Fall on us and hide us from the face of him that sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb, for the great day of his wrath has come. There is then uh, in chapter 8 verse 1 the seventh seal that is opened. Uh, You will uh, know that that unfolds uh, into uh, the trumpets, uh, the seven angels in verse 2 of chapter 8 that uh, were given seven trumpets down through chapter 8 and and 9. We have the trumpets, chapter 11, please chapter 11. Uh, and verse 15 is the seventh trumpet, the seventh angel sounded, 11.15, and there were great voices in heaven saying, The kingdoms of this world are become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. The four and twenty elders which sat before God on their seats fell upon their faces and worshipped God, taking us back, of course, to chapter 4 and 5, saying, We give thanks, O Lord God Almighty. Verse 18, the nations were angry. But verse 19 says, The temple of God was opened in heaven, and there was seen in his temple the ark of his testament, and there were lightnings and voices and thunderings and an earthquake and great hail. Chapter 15, because you'll see straight away that Uh, we flow straight into 15 verse 1 and I saw another sign in heaven great and marvellous seven angels having the seven last plagues for in them is filled up the wrath of God and I saw as it were a sea of glass mingled with fire and them that had gotten the victory over the beast and over his image and over his mark and over the number of his name stand on the sea of glass having the harps of God, and they sing the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb, saying, Great and marvellous are thy works, Lord God Almighty, just and true are thy ways, thou King of saints, or King of nations. Who shall not fear thee, O Lord, and glorify thy name, for thou only art holy, for all nations shall come and worship before thee. For thy judgments are made manifest, and after that I looked, or I saw, third time, he said, I saw, and behold, the temple of the tabernacle of the testimony in heaven was opened, and the seven angels came out of the temple, having the seven plagues, clothed in pure white linen, having their breasts girded with golden girdles, and one of the four beasts, that is one of the four living creatures of chapter 4, around the throne, gave unto the seven angels seven golden vials, or golden bowls, full of the wrath of God, who liveth forever and ever. 
And the temple was filled with smoke from the glory of God and from his power. And no man was able to enter into the temple till the seven plagues of the seven angels were fulfilled. And I heard a great voice out of the temple saying to the seven angels, Go your ways and pour out the bowls of the wrath of God upon the earth. And the first went and poured out his bowl upon the earth, and there fell a noisome and grievous sore upon the men which had the mark of the beast and upon them which worshipped his image. The second angel poured out his bowl upon the sea, and it became as the blood of a dead man, and every living soul died in the sea. And the third angel poured out his bowl upon the rivers and fountains of waters, and they became blood. And I heard the angel of the waters say, Thou art righteous, O Lord, which art and washed and shalt be, because thou hast judged thus, for they have shed the blood of saints and prophets, and thou hast given them blood to drink, for they are worthy. And I heard another out of the altar say, Even so, Lord God Almighty, true and righteous are thy judgments. And the fourth angel poured out his bowl upon the sun, and power was given unto him to scorch men with fire. And men were scorched with great heat, and blasphemed the name of God, which hath power over these plagues. And they repented not to give him glory. And the fifth angel poured out his bowl upon the seat of the beast, and his kingdom was full of darkness. And they gnawed their tongues for pain. And blasphemed the God of heaven because of their pains and their sores, and repented not of their deeds. And the sixth angel poured out his bowl upon the great river Euphrates, and the water thereof was dried up, that the way of the kings of the east might be prepared. And I saw three unclean spirits like frogs come out of the mouth of the dragon, and out of the mouth of the beast, and out of the mouth of the false prophets, for... They are the spirits of demons working miracles which go forth unto the kings of the earth and of the whole world to gather them to the battle of that great day of God Almighty. Behold, I come as a thief. Blessed is he that watcheth and keepeth his garments, lest he walk naked and he see shame. And he gathered them together unto a place called in the Hebrew tongue Armageddon. And the seventh angel poured out his bowl into the air, and there came a great voice out of the temple of heaven from the throne, saying, It is done. And there were voices and thunders and lightnings, and there was a great earthquake, such as was not since men were upon the earth, so mighty an earthquake, and so great. And the great city was divided into three parts, and the cities of the nations fell Great Babylon called in remembrance before God to give unto her the cup of the wine of the fierceness of his wrath. And every island fled away, and the mountains were not found. And there fell upon men a great hail out of heaven, every stone about the weight of a talent. And men blasphemed God because of the plague of the hail, for the plague thereof was exceeding great. God's word is good and God's word is instructive it's not always pleasant to read but it's always good now we have in chapter 15 and 16 the conclusion of the the seven seal judgments of the book of Revelation which really run from chapter 6 through to the end of chapter 16 because you will likely have noticed that 
that really the seven seals contain the seven trumpets. The seventh seal really is the seven trumpets, and the seventh trumpet really is the the seven bowls that we have here in these two chapters. So really, uh, they they are all contained within the the seven seals, and the seven seals themselves unfold what is the seven days of the 70th week of Daniel's prophecy. We are looking at a future period of seven years. This is what, of course, John was told that he was going to be revealed. He was going to be shown the things which were going to come to pass. And we have them laid out. Now, these seven seals uh, contain, as you've noticed with the seal and the trumpet judgments, and you'll understand as we've read these bowl judgments, they contain the curses and the judgments of God. It is the will of God. I think that's really the idea of the scroll, to be honest. Uh, A Roman will had seven seals. Uh, And it's what you have here contained in that scroll are the curses and the judgments. If you want biblical parallel evidence for that, go to Ezekiel 2, go to Jeremiah 36, and go to Zechariah chapter 5. So I don't think the idea is so much the title deeds of the earth as many as many do. What the Lord takes is the will of God to judge the issue of sin by judgment. And you've seen it already in the book of Revelation, haven't you? You've seen it unfolded. The events that will take place on this earth. Seal judgments that will come in the first three and a half years of the tribulation period yet to come upon the earth. A midpoint when there is silence in heaven. And then you have trumpet judgments which you saw in chapter 8 and chapter 9. But take us now through towards the very end and the climax of this seven year period. While while you now see, and we will go through this evening, the bowl judgments. There is an increase. So we're seeing something of the conclusion of the seven seals in chapter 15 and 16. It's also the climax of the seven seals. Notice the language of chapter 15 and verse 1. The seven last plagues. It is the finality, the climax of judgment. But it's also, you'll see the concentration of the seven seals. Because what you're getting is judgment that's increasingly concentrated. The idea of the bowl is that which was emptied in fullness. And while seals were opened and trumpets were blown, now at the very end, probably in the last months of the 70th week of Daniel, the last months or weeks of the seven years of tribulation, there are bowls that are filled with the wrath of God which are going to be poured out upon the earth in succession and devastating. Now that makes you stop, doesn't it? And we have to think a little bit about about why. And that's one of the reasons that Revelation is given to us the way it is. Now you might like, if you like order, I'm an accountant, I like order. I I don't feel that's something I have to confess or feel bad about, because it's good. 
I would I, I like I like Matthew twenty four and twenty five because that is uh, the Olivet discourse, and it is chronological from the end times, from the beginning of the tribulation, right through to the coming of the Lord to set up His kingdom. Uh, and the going into the kingdom, and it's it, you know, the order of it uh, is wonderful because it's entirely chronological. Hugely helpful, by the way, those that are younger. If you're studying eschatology, the study of future events, get familiar with Matthew 24 and 25 because it is the clearest chronological outline of future events from the beginning of the tribulation through to the kingdom. Okay, and it starts with the seal judgments, and you can parallel them with chapter six of Revelation to your heart's content, uh, and it carries on. Revelation is broadly chronological because you've got seven seals and chapter 6 through 19 is outlining from the beginning of the tribulation period uh, right through the coming of Christ to set up his kingdom in chapter 19. And these seven seals and seven trumpets and seven bulls are, are chronological through that period. But you'll have noticed that there's a whole lot of inserts take place. You could read from the end of chapter 11, read straight into chapter 15, quite happily, chronologically, as the seventh trumpet is blown, and you are immediately into the unfolding of that trumpet, which is the seven bowl judgments. But you don't. You have chapter 12, 13, and 14, and you've just studied them. You could go immediately from the end of chapter 16, where the sixth bowl is the battle of Armageddon, and you can go straight to chapter 19, because the Lord comes. In the midst of that, riding on a white horse. And comes to deal with the wickedness of the armies of Armageddon. And comes to give the birds a great feast and so on. Uh, and the winning of that slaughter. But you don't have that. You've got chapter 17 and 18 to do next to whoever's doing that. Now there's reasons for that. Um, first of all, I think it's important that we understand context that's what God is doing you know in chapter 12 and 13 we are, we are slowed down in this scene of all the future events that will happen to be clear about the fact that there will be a rise of a satanically inspired kingdom that will dominate throughout the globe and notice the language of chapter 13 all peoples will bow the knee Apart from that very small number who will not take the mark. Okay? We're being told something. Chapter 14, there is the, the harvest of the righteous and the harvest of the unrighteous. We're being told something. And that's really why when we come to chapter 15 and 16, the key point is not that you understand the specifics of what the bold judgments will entail and what the specifics of the judgment issues are, although we'll deal with them in our session tonight. We need to understand what it is that God is teaching us. And throughout the book of Revelation you'll have had the same issue repeated time and time again. And the action is slowed down and we zoom in and we zoom back out again and we go somewhere else. Because we're not primarily learning about events in the future. We're learning about God and we're learning about man. Right? That's what this is about. And of course ultimately we're learning about Christ. It's the revelation of Jesus Christ. You can't understand him without understanding God and man. So that's what we're being told. So for example, just uh, this is all introduction by the way. 
Uh, but, but for example, revelation of God, you'll notice the wrath of God repeated in this section. Verse 1, filled up the wrath of God. Look at chapter 15, verse 7, full of the wrath of God. Chapter 16, verse 1, the vials, the bowls of the wrath of God. Very particular word for wrath. You know, generally or very often with God, the word that is used is of the settled displeasure and anger of God against sin. But this is different. It is the boiling over word. It's thumos. We get thermos flasks from it, if you like. It's the idea of something which boils over. And, and, and the disposition of God, angry against sin, is now boiling over into action that is full and is complete. But you will notice the repetition of the idea. Middle of chapter 15, the saints sing a song. And what is their song about? It's about the greatness of God, the might of God, the ways of God. The fact that he is just and true in his ways. That men ought to fear him and glorify him. And that his judgments are made manifest and he should be worshipped. What we're being told? We're being told that God is moving in anger but he is absolutely right. He's absolutely true. Now we need to know that. Because if there's... Well, I think every one of us reading these chapters recoil a bit from the devastation of them. We need to know this is absolutely righteous. Again, come into chapter 16. Notice the interjection in verse 5 of the angel of the waters. In the middle of the bowl judgments. Thou art righteous, O Lord. Because you have judged thus, for they have shed the blood of saints and prophets, and you've given them blood to drink, for they are worthy. There is a a weighing out and a measuring of the fact that they are worthy of these judgments. Here's heaven's verdict, and it's absolutely clear. The saints witness and testify to it as they sing. The angels can't help but declare it, that this is right. And in fact, another angel uh, in verse 7, or I heard another out of the altar, Lord God Almighty, true and righteous are thy judgments. What we're being told, we're being told that as God moves in judgment, he is righteous. Okay? He's righteous. If you don't believe it now, you will one day. He's righteous. We're also having man revealed. Now, did you notice that? That's why we read in chapter 6, at the end of chapter 6, and the, the seal judgment, the sixth seal. Men know that God has come. It's the wrath of the Lamb that they know they're hiding from. These are not just natural events, and yet they will not repent, they just hide themselves. In chapter 9, in the climax of the trumpet judgments, we are told their sin. We are told about their murders and their occultism and their sexual immorality and their theft that is global. You take a world where the spirit has been removed and Christianity and Christians have been removed. You want to see what it looks like? Look at the end of chapter 9 of Revelation and it's awful. What does it say? They will not repent. Now do you see throughout this chapter, notice the language, it keeps coming up repeatedly. Look at chapter 6 verse 9. They were scorched and heated, they blasphemed the name of God. End of the verse, they repented not to give him glory. Notice verse 11. They blasphemed the God of heaven. End of the verse, they repented not of their deeds. Verse 21, middle of the verse, men blasphemed God. Now let's be absolutely clear, because God is. There's plenty of gospel preaching in this tribulation period. Plenty of it. 
God will make sure that the gospel is preached to every people all around the world. Right? There will never be a day of gospel preaching like the tribulation period. Because that's God. He is merciful. And when he brings judgment, he brings a flood of preaching. Even at the very end, he sends an angel with the everlasting gospel. There's no short, that's what the parable of the sower is all about, by the way. I believe it's the tribulation period, Matthew 13. But that's, a, that's an aside. But just get your head around this. God will send preachers and they will be preaching, but they will not repent. <laughs> And so the climactic and the awful judgments of bulls that are poured out upon the earth that ought to make us weep as we look at them. We have to understand this, that man is being revealed in his absolute sinfulness and God is being revealed in his absolute righteousness. Okay? So that's the key lesson we take away. We'll, we'll preach some details. And Kevin made the great mistake of telling me that I had liberty with time. But, but I didn't really believe him uh, too much anyway. But, but as we look at this passage and you come through it, we'll, we'll look at the weight of it, but please get this. God is righteous and man is sinful. Just remember, this is what's in our heart as well. Uh, it's a wonderful thing to be saved, isn't it? Right, so I want to deal with the subject uh, or the chapters tonight, or the three headings. I want to think about the background, which is really chapter 15, because it's the background to the judgments. Then we have the bowls, which take us through really most of chapter 16. But I want to particularly at the end just zoom back into number 6, because we have a section in, the, in verse 13 through 16 that's really about Armageddon. So I want to think about the battle. Okay, so the background in the bowls and then the battle. Um, is who we're going tonight. So first of all, the, the background. And again, you know, if if this uh, if these inserts that are given to us to, to slow us down and to help us understand and to and to see close up some of the issues as what's going on, you know, if that's not enough, we have a whole eight verse inter introduction to the the bulls because this is climactic, like this is massive. And we have the, well there are three things here, uh, he, John says I saw, I saw, I saw, that's verse 1, verse 2 and verse 5, I saw, I saw, I saw, and he sees angels that are active, and then he sees saints that are active, and then he sees God that's active, right, so this is deliberately climactic, uh, he sees angels, seven angels come out, you've seen seven angels before, and here come seven angels with the seven last plagues this is a sign, this sign that he sees uh, is the three the three visions or the three things that he sees, the sign in heaven great and marvellous angels and the wrath of God is come, it is fulfilled notice, it is filled up it is complete, it is finished this is the climax of the boiling over anger of God with respect to sin. Okay, it doesn't get any greater than this. And the angels move out, seven of them, with the last plagues. But then there's saints that are active. In verse 2, I saw as it were a sea of glass. You'll remember that from chapter 4. The sea of glass before the throne. But it's mingled with fire now. There is the purifying judgment fire. And them that had gotten the victory over the beast and over the image and over his mark and over the number of his name stand in the sea of glass, having the harps of God, and they sing the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb. 
Well, here we are. Here are the saints. This is right at the very end of the tribulation. These are, no doubt, from the cameos and the previews that we've had, these are, these are the, the martyred multitudes of the tribulation period. I don't know how long the life expectancy of a believer in the tribulation period is, but I'm going to guess it's not very long. There seems to be a repetition throughout the idea of martyrdom stalking them. I believe there will be untold millions saved out of tribulation. Because it's only in line with the character of God for that to be so. But the majority, the vast majority of them will be martyred. There'll be a remnant of the nation, of course, hidden. Chapter 12 and 13 has made that clear. But there'll be multitudes martyred. But here they are. Here they are seen now at the climax of the days. And, and, and of course there was a cry, how long? Well, the time has come. And, and the boiling over anger of God is about to flood in the world. And the martyr saints they sing. Now, it's a lovely statement in verse 2. It says, they're described as those that have gotten the victory. <laughs> those that have been, have been slain are those that have gotten the victory over the beast, over his image, and over his mark. The beast made war with them. But they got the victory. You say, well, they got murdered. They never bowed the knee to him. When he demanded it and when all the world was going down, they said no. That's victory. Christian, is still the same today. Still the same today. The principle of victory, it might look like a loss. You could lose and you go through the scriptures and you find many of God's people lost an awful lot. Remember Peter said to the Lord, you know, we've given up. It's okay, Peter. <laughs> Don't worry. Don't worry, there's plenty there's plenty coming. You never lose anything for Christ ultimately. They wouldn't bow down to him. That image that was to be worshipped, they wouldn't bow down. His name and his mark, they wouldn't take. Whatever the cost. No allegiance to anyone else but Christ. That's victory. And they sing. Uh, they sing the song of Moses the servant of God and the song of the Lamb it's of course uh, reminiscent of Exodus 15 this is the point, you know there really is only one song it starts in Exodus 15 and it, it comes to the conclusion here but there's only one song and the subject is God and his greatness and his mighty works in redemption and this is it here his ways are great he's almighty <coughs> He's true and he's righteous. Who will not fear him? Glorify his name. He's only holy. All nations shall come and worship before thee. And the saints are rejoicing in God, first of all. You know, most of our songs should really be, first of all, about God. 
Um, it's okay to sing about yourself then. Again, the Psalms have some of that. All right, but 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 most of all, it should be about God. Because our, our our joy is really in Him, and our 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 hearts ought to be exalted when we when we speak of Him. And that's where the saints are at this climactic moment. The angels move out, and the saints sing. But then in verse five through eight, you have uh, you have God moving, and you have this this activity at the very centre of heaven. The, the temple of the tabernacle of the witness in heaven was opened. Now this is this is the door to the throne room is being opened. Okay, the door to the very inner dwelling place of God Himself, and. And you see that seven angels come out. They come out and they come out dressed in pure white linen. There's a ceremony about this and something majestic about it. One of the four living creatures gives them bowls. This is again those that protect the throne Okay, of Revelation 4 and 5. And verse 8 the temple was filled with smoke from the glory of God and from his power and no one was able to enter the temple till the seven bowls were fulfilled God is moving the glory of God is about to be displayed you know this is this is deliberately climactic okay it's been a long time coming the world has deserved this for a long, long time. But it's going to come. Then you have the bulls. And uh, and we get into these these bull judgments. And uh, I better move quickly through them. Just to, to give you an idea of what's happening. The, uh, the seven of them. And again, really this is the first time the seven is complete. Because the seventh seal is the seven trumpets. There isn't really a judgment linked with the seventh seal. Because the seven... The seventh trumpet is the seven bulls, not really a specific judgment linked with the seventh trumpet. But now you have seven. And you have the full unfolding of seven bull judgments. And uh, they follow a similar pattern to what's gone before. But as I've said, they come very quickly. And you'll understand as you look at them why they have to come quickly. Because earth can't continue to function anymore after this. Life can't function for any length of time after this the nature of the devastation that has unfolded first of all verse verse 1 there are sores on the worshippers of the antichrist you'll notice there's a particular focus on the beast and on those that worship his image you know that's why I believe there was silence in heaven the space of half an hour at the midpoint of the tribulation period when the image is set up, the the abomination of desolation standing in the holy place, and a world which would not have Christ will have the Antichrist. A world who would not come and would not trust and would not receive him that came in the Father's name, they will accept the one who came in his own name. It's a staggering insight into the heart of man. In itself, it is the death nail, it is the conclusion, it is the final act. Yet God lets it run three and a half years. 
<laughs> From that moment on, you'd think the curtain would come down and seven bowls would descend. But God leaves it three and a half years. His long suffering. His long suffering. You know, the point really is this that when you, you get through the revelation, you get to the great white throne, and you'll get there. And they are sobering and they're solemn verses. You get there to the end and you have to understand that God has done everything. And there is nothing else can be done. But sin must be judged finally and fully. There's no other way. Man has been proven in himself to be utterly sinful. That's the story of Revelation. And so there's a particular wickedness about those that worship the the image and take the mark of the beast. Secondly, verse 3, the seas turn to blood. Uh, Again, you've had a third of this before, but now now the sea in entirety is turned uh, to blood. Then the third angel, there's, there's the fresh water and the rivers and fountains are turned to blood. You know that man can't survive. Can't survive without it. This is the end. Without water. Um, After the statements of the angels of the waters, etc., and the other voice in verse 8, you have in verse 9, the fourth bowl, there is the intense scorching of men with fire, a bowl poured upon the sun, and you have this super charged sunshine scorches with great heat in verse 10 the fifth angel and you have this particular bowl poured upon the seat of the beast and his kingdom was full of darkness and they gnawed their tongues for pain and right at the centre and of course this is in Jerusalem the great city where he set up his throne the kingdom of the beast is particularly dealt with in the fifth in the fifth bowl and then in the sixth bowl you have the great river Euphrates and the water is dried up to prepare the way for the kings of the east now you come down to um, verse 17 and you have the seventh angel now just look at this climactic judgment the seventh angel poured out his bowl into the air and there's this great voice out of the temple of heaven that says it is done literally finished the outworking of it is in verse 18 through 21 thunders, lightnings earthquake like has never been the great city that's Jerusalem divided into three parts the cities of the nations fell great Babylon came in remembrance before God there is the toppling of man in his anti-God systems globally the city's full Babylon literal and symbolic you'll get that in chapter 17 and 18 whoever's taken that up the fullness of the falling of Babylon is zoomed in in chapter 17 and 18 because it's been right from the very start pretty close and the principle of Babel has been there right from the fall of man 
It has grown and it has risen and it will come crashing down. Babylon is fallen. It's fallen. Verse 20. There seems to be the moving away of all islands. It seems like there's one land mass. I'm tempted to say again. It's coming back to creation conditions. And there's hail out of heaven. Every stone about the weight of a talent. This is heaven pouring out judgment. Remember this. It's absolutely deserved. Now, we need to zoom in a little bit on the battle. So, so you have you have the background, and then you have the bulls, and then we have have the battle, and you have this idea of of Armageddon. And we'll deal with this before we before we finish. Uh, it's you'll notice the repetition of the word great throughout here. I can't remember how many times it is. It's maybe a dozen. It's great. It's great. It's great. From the very beginning of chapter fifteen, great and marvelous, the sign in heaven. It's great, great, great all the way down. It's filled with this climactic language and the language of magnitude. It is great. And verse sixteen of chapter sixteen, verse fourteen, the day of Armageddon is called the great day of God Almighty. And uh, Armageddon just means hill of, of Megiddo. It's a, a, an ancient city um, in the north of Israel. Overlooking what's often called the plain of Megiddo, but it's a, it, it's a large plain uh, below it. And, and, and of course that is a place where there will be multitude armies come, and this is where you, you are familiar with the language of the battle of Armageddon. Um, in fact, it's one of the few terms that people, people don't know much about the Bible, but Armageddon seems to be something that has transcended into popular culture so that people understand something of, of, of the, the devastating nature of, of the idea and the concept of Armageddon. Now it's not really, if you piece together all of the different scriptures on this, it's not, it's not really a battle so much as it is a campaign. It's a concentrated set of efforts over a multitude of many months. In fact, the sixth trumpet of Revelation chapter 9, of course, deals with and links with the whole idea of the Euphrates. Similarly here, it seems as if there's preparation of a 200 million strong army. You know, maybe in year 5 or 6 of the tribulation, that then is brought forward in the very final days uh, of the tribulation, which is what we're dealing with here. So four things about Armageddon as we, as we draw this to a conclusion. Um, because really this is what you'll zoom into in chapter 19, right? So you, you, this, is, this is setting you up for chapter 19. It's why it's the most extended of the references to the bulls because you need to get your head around where you are so that you know when the Lord comes you're ready to cry hallelujah <laughs> okay so so it's setting us up for that for chapter 19 four things first of all it's devastating I mean the whole idea of the great day of God Almighty when God's temple has been opened and when the bulls have been pushed out and when you have this this great day, it's clearly devastating. You had it in chapter 14, of course, because that's the harvest of chapter 14, put in the sickle. And you have this harvest of the ungodly in opposition to God at Armageddon. Um, 
The other thing is clearly out of here that is demonic. And that's chapter 13 and verse 13 and 14 rather of chapter 16. Notice the idea of the unclean spirits coming out, three of them out of the mouth of the dragon, that's Satan, out of the beast, um, the first beast if you like, and out of the mouth of the false prophet, the third, the third unclean spirit. So from the the the, the false triumvirate. Uh, the quasi trinity, not an actual trinity of evil. You have this, you have this uncleanness. You have demonic power that is is leading. Notice verse fourteen. They are the spirits of demons working miracles, going forth to the kings of the earth of the whole world to gather them to the battle of the great day of God Almighty. So, so Satan's active in bringing this all together. It's very interesting because God gathers them. He brings them to the valley of Jehoshaphat. You see, this is actually a, a, a global gathering of all nations. It's a coming together of all military power in the whole world. There is likely to be multiple reasons why they come together. The satanically, demonically inspired purpose that you have here is almost certainly the eradication of the nation of Israel. That's chapter 12. This has been Satan's purpose. This has been trial run in the Holocaust. Satan has tried this through the book of Esther, you might have noticed. And down in Egypt, you might have noticed. Satan has been at this for a long time. And it will seem to be the final attempt to remove altogether the nation of Israel from the earth and to eradicate the promises of God. But they'll come. It may well be that they come initially with the idea of fighting with the beast who of course is in charge of the global system at the time Babylon, uh, you know, the, the, the beast is riding on the woman at that point. The, the whole idea of the, the woman being displaced and he is entirely preeminent. And the idea is globally he reigns, but things are falling apart as you can see from the bulls and the rebellion of the world may well be part of what's going on so it's devastating and it's demonic it's decisive because it's, it's global this is everyone coming together if you want to look at different passages uh, you can do Psalm 2 of course is a, is a set of verses all about this the heathen raging the people imagining a vain thing the kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord Joel chapter 3, all nations, I will gather all nations and will bring them down to the valley of Jehoshaphat. Chapter 3 verse 12, uh, he will judge all the nations round about. And in Zephaniah chapter 3, he gathers all nations and kingdoms to pour upon them in indignation. And, And you have... Not just in Megiddo, but you have in Jehoshaphat to the east of Jerusalem, and you have in Bosra and Edom in the south of Israel. You, you have all round the land, you have armed forces and you have military action. Okay? It is a set of campaign activities. But there's a particular focus on Megiddo. Because the kings from the east, 200 million, the, the king of the east comes. The king of the north comes. 
Ezekiel 38, Daniel 11, Joel 2. The king of the south comes, Daniel 11, verse 40. And together the armies of the world are united. This leads to the final point. This is the final rebellion. Not of world history, because there's one more to come. At the end of the kingdom. But it's the final rebellion of man before the kingdom begins. It's climactic and it's global. And it's massively damaging. They will take the nation. Two thirds of the city, Zechariah tells us, will go into captivity. And then the Lord will come. Now this is it, right? This is the hope, and this is what we want to notice. That, that look, at verse, look at verse 15, and we'll finish here. That in the middle of, of these statements about the bulls, and, and in this particular, the sixth bull, you have this, this little, well, who is, who's speaking? Behold, I come as a thief. You're hearing, the, you're hearing the words of Christ. <coughs> the angels have been active and the saints have been active and God is active. And now you hear in the pouring out of the bowls, there's just one verse where Christ speaks. Behold, I come as a thief. Any of you who've ever had a thief will know what that means. Unexpected. And massively damaging. He's come on. As the nations gather together, as they put their full military might, every last element of ammunition and capability they have will all be brought together. All the nations, all the kings. What a wonderful statement. Behold, I come. You know, I, I want to preach on to chapter 19. I want to lock you in and preach on to chapter 19, but I won't. He's coming. Behold, I come as a thief. But he gives a word here. His behold, I come as a thief. Blessed is he that watches and keeps his garments, lest he walk naked and they see shame. And this is a word to those that have not been martyred. We've seen martyred saints in in the happy place of the sea of glass uh, singing singing redemption song well that's good but there are some still on the earth what a time and what a place to be the Lord says I'm coming he says I'm coming watch watch and keep your garments Garments always speak of character, and, and this is the cry. You'll see it in chapter 17 and 18 as well. You know, come out, my people, and be separate. Come out from, from, come out from her. Come out of Babylon. And keep yourself separate. He says, I'm coming. He says, watch. Stick your neck out and wait for me, because I'm coming. What a horrendous scene. What an awful set of judgments. But the wickedness of man with Armageddon and the, the battles and the, uh, or the, the pulling together all, all the military might against God. The Lord says, I'm coming. He says, watch. And keep your garments. Don't bring shame. 
Don't lose your character. The idea of being naked is not properly dressed. Don't get yourself into a place where you're just where you're just not fit. You know, he says he says he says just watch and keep. So I'm going to finish. I'm going to say this, Christians. We're not waiting for the Lord to come in judgment upon the earth. That's at least seven years hence. But we are waiting for the Lord to come. And these these words are used exactly of the call to God's people today. We're called to watch. We're called to keep. Alright? You know, it's very easy to look at the world round about and uh, to be attracted by it. The world system, uh, the cities, you know, people go on holidays to. I don't like cities that much, but people love to go to cities. <laughs> it's all the people, I can't cope with all the people. But, but people love cities, and there's something attractive about cities, I'm sure. But you know, cities, as man has built them, and as man has lifted them up, and what man's put at the centre of them. The places of idolatry and the places of wickedness. And the bigger the cities, the bigger the wickedness and the bigger the idolatry. And the systems of men, the business systems and the education systems, <laughs> the entertainment systems, they're all part of the construct, you'll see this in Babylon I'm sure, they're all part of the construct of man away from God and against God. The call of God's people is always to keep yourself clean and just watch for him. Right, so so we need to stay here because until we're called home we're here. But the final call and the final lesson out of Revelation 15 and 16 I want to leave with you tonight is this. Watch for him. When he comes nothing else will matter. All the things that have our attention now will not matter in the slightest. Watch for him. Keep your garments. Keep yourself pure. Keep yourself clean. That Lord bless his word to us. Let's just close in prayer. Our blessed God, we give thanks that although the passage we've looked at tonight is sobering in so many ways, we just remember that the wickedness in these uh, men and women is just in our hearts as well and we give thanks for grace that has saved us and mercy that's been poured out we pray our God that we might just keep ourselves clean and we might be in the blessed position of watching for our Lord before he comes Uh, we give thanks for a coming saviour he is our hope and he'll be the hope of tribulation saints as well We pray that our eyes might be more filled with him and our hearts as well. Bless thy people, we ask, as they continue their studies in this book and use it to purify and to bless them, we pray. In the Saviour's precious name. Amen.